Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers with Eric Trickle and Lance Sanderson. Ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground, picked up by T.J. Ward at the four-yard line. Vaughn Miller did it again. On Overtime Media. Mile high hello, everybody. Broncos country. Welcome into Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. I'm your host, Lance Sanderson, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and colleague. He is Mile High Huddle, senior NFL draft analyst, the one and only Eric Trickle. Now, Eric, dude, you have to bear with me just a little bit, guys. It is hotter than the blazes of you know where in my office right now because it's been pushing the 100-degree mark every single day here in Wyoming for the last couple of days now. Um, sweat my you-know-what's off and just trying to just keep alive, man. The, the heat has been exhausting. Eric, is uh, the weather up there that way for you pushing the 70s number, 80s maybe? Um, well, today was a wonderful 67 with rain. I hate so <laughs> it's been a warm rain, which is, I mean, being Alaskan is something that we're not super comfortable with, but it's been raining the last couple of days. It's supposed to get really hot just in time for dip netting. I think the weather is supposed to clear up here. Dip netting starts two days, the seventh or the 10th. So super excited for that, except that it's going to make this place, this town extremely busy. But it'll be fun because since I overlook the um, where I live, I overlook the li- river a little bit. I get to go look at all the people out on their boats and everybody down on the beach because we live on the bluff um, out there dip netting and being miserable standing in the river trying to catch fish. <laughs> so which would you prefer sitting in your house with the air conditioning and watching everybody be miserable out in the hot sun or actually out there going and dip netting? Most Alaskan, ho- most Alaskan houses don't have air conditioning. Well, that's fair. It's literally open your window and put on a fan. Like, that's what we have. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't want to be in the river. I've done it once, standing out in the river with your, whatever those things are called, your water clothes. The, your the... waders? Like... Sure, waders. That sounds that sounds correct. I've done that once. It was terrible. But going out on a boat, because my old boss, when I worked at the courthouse, he had a boat. Um, going out there and going fishing off that was a lot of fun. Um First time was a lot more fun because of the people that I was on the boat with. Second time was a little weird and uncomfortable, but 
um, I was the only person that was on the boat the second time that was under the age of 60. <laughs> so, <laughs> but what was, what was cool with that was that every single one of them had played football. A couple of them played in the NFL. My right. old boss, I mean, he played with Dan Fouts at Oregon. So like, it, it was a lot of cool talking to them and picking and talking about football, but still a little uncomfortable with some of those conversations. Um, but no, I'd rather be on a boat than inside, but be it rather be inside than outstanding in the river that's fair i mean i understand i want to go really bad like I, i've always wanted to go up to alaska i want to go halibut fishing you've offered me a place to stay and stuff like that um one of these days it's actually going to happen hopefully when this economy kind of slows down a little bit makes it a little bit easier to make some trips and stuff like that i'll be able to come up there obviously we're going to be up there for your wedding but we're going to miss dip netting which is unfortunate but <laughs> i mean it, at least if nothing else go throw a line in the in the river and see if you can't pull a pull a salmon or something like that i, I don't know how the fishing is up there i've never obviously never been to alaska so <laughs> to, to be able to go up and have some fun and, and check out uh some beautiful country and everything. I'm looking forward to that, but I'm looking forward to this conversation that we're about to have with you guys even more guys. Um, this is the season of the lists. Like obviously you've got your Mount Rushmore's coming up top five players at this position, top tens at this position. Um, everybody has a list for something right now. It's this dead period between, you know, the end of OTAs, the beginning of training camp this whole month. I mean, we've got a little bit of news coming with the franchise tag deadline coming up here, but the Broncos don't have anything, any involvement in that this year. So we'll see some new contracts and some, some controversies and stuff like that here about, I think the deadline's the 14th or 15th. So we're right around the corner from that. But uh, it, it's it's always fun to kind of dive through the subjective matter of football because football to me, while it, it is a very objective sport, you're trying to just score touchdowns. There's a, the object of the game is this. Getting to that certain point is always very subjective. And some certain people like some certain players or some certain schemes a, a much different way. So to be able to have these conversations, these open-ended conversations where you can kind of dive in from multiple different angles is always a lot of fun. And here lately, we've got a bunch of really good lists regarding the Denver Broncos, re regarding specifically in the secondary um, ESPN with Jeremy Fowler is doing a, a poll style top 10 at every position in the NFL um, we've got this, uh, the cornerbacks have dropped, I believe already. I think um, interior defensive lineman has dropped as well. Um, touchdown wire with Doug Farrar and Mark Schofield are also doing kind of the same thing. And then pro football focus is doing kind of a top tens as well. They broke down um, secondary rankings a little over, a, wait, no, it wasn't even but three weeks ago, something like that. Uh, tail end of June. Um, they broke down their secondary rankings. We're going to take all these articles and kind of dive them, uh, put them in together, take a deep dive and figure out exactly where the secondary ranks, guys. It's going to be a really fun conversation. Guys, put your uh, put your takes in there. Any super chats, any stars, we'll address any of those here in just a couple minutes. But guys, again, you are watching the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. You can find me on Twitter by finding following me at Sanderson MHH for Eric at Eric Trickle and shout out to Scott Kennedy who's back this week uh, running the ones and twos behind the scenes at Scout Kennedy also guys at DVDD underscore pod I finally got the handle back on that one the other day so I'm throwing some takes out there a little bit um, but it's a great way to stay in tune with what's going on with the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast and as always guys uh, at Mile High Huddle that's some other account where you guys are going to find breaking news and analysis anything regarding the Denver Broncos that's where you're going to be able to get it now Eric. I want to start off this conversation by addressing what I think is uh, about a 500 pound, well, I guess 5,000 pound elephant in the room in PFF's uh, secondary rankings. This was by Mike Renner on June 27th, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, the, the order that he went in here, I'm just going to run through it really quick and I'll get your take on this here in just a second. Uh, the order that he went in was Baltimore Ravens, number one. 
Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, number two. Cleveland Browns, number three. Green Bay Packers, number four. Uh, Miami Dolphins, number five. Uh, Buffalo Bills, number six. New Orleans Saints, number seven. Uh, and the Los Angeles Chargers round out his top eight. And those are the, like, how do you target against this uh, against the secondary? Where do offenses even attack? Uh, tier two, which is where we're going to find the Broncos here, uh, starts off with the Los Angeles Rams at number nine, Cincinnati Bengals, number 10, Tennessee Titans, number 11. And here's where you find the Denver Broncos slotted in at number 12 with the Eagles and Chiefs rounding out this tier going into uh, tier three with the ascending units in the NFL. Now, we kind of started breaking this down a little bit before we came onto the show. I really want your take on specifically the top tier players and uh, top tier teams and then how does the Broncos rate as low as they did in this operation? So for me, I mean, with the, the Broncos ranking at number 12, I'm, I, I would have them a little bit higher, but in the same time, I can see why they were put placed where they were. The fact that Ronald Darby is starting and it's nothing against him as a player. It's the fact that he's only played one full season. Quan Williams has never played a full season. So you have two guys that are starting on this that have major injury concerns. Kareem Jackson, he's been missing time and everything. And honestly, his play has been declining a little bit. Justin Simmons, still great. Patrick Stan's entering year two. Hopefully we see another climb for him, as I've said before on this. I mean, he's already proven me wrong with my pre-draft evaluation. Undervalued key areas were overvaluing others. And he's just been absolutely killing it. Um, so it's interesting. And uh, the one thing that I would disagree with these rankings about having them higher is the Bengals. I mean, if you want to talk about the depth of the Bengals and depending on how their starting lineup is, maybe you get Dax and Hill and Cam Taylor Britt out there as starters on the, in the secondary, but with who PFF has as starters, it's not the best unit. Shadobi Awuzie had a, had a good year. Eli Apple had a terrible year. Mike Hilton is a fine nickel corner, like no complaints there. I mean, he's actually quite good. Jesse Bates is one of the better safeties in the NFL, and Von, Von Bell is is fine. So it's I, – I would have Den, – having Denver behind the Bengals is just a little weird to me. Um, having it – adding the depth that they did to it with Dax and Hill and Cam Taylor Britt helps. And if those guys were starters on this – on that defense, then I definitely would agree with it. But as long as you have Eli Apple out there on the field, it's going to be hard for me to agree with them being above the Broncos, um, even with the injury concerns that the Broncos have in their secondary. Well, I don't disagree with anything you said there. And I want to go back to the Eli Apple conversation here. And even with Cam Taylor Britt, who I think actually has a really good role as a safety in the NFL, uh, he can play on the boundary. I think that that's probably going to be the starter there. I, I'm not like down on Von Bell, but I'm higher on Daxton Hill than I am on Von Bell. And to have those two guys as the starters on this defense, just it doesn't quite make sense to me because Eli Apple was burnt toast on top of burnt toast. Like he was terrible this last season. He was one of the worst cornerbacks in the NFL. And you guys, the PFF has him as uh, one of the top 10 secondaries using Eli Apple as a starter. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, to go one step higher in this one uh, on their on their ranking chart here, the Los Angeles Rams, going to quote this article by by Mike Renner, he says, quote, uh, for the Rams, uh, this ranking would look, look a lot different without Jalen Ramsey factoring in. The Rams' secondary would be closer to Tier 5 than Tier 2 without him. That's just how valuable elite cornerbacks are. Ramsey has averaged only 477 yards allowed per season in a Ram uniform, despite routinely shadowing the NFL's top receivers, end quote. 
And, and I don't disagree with that. It's just everywhere else along that defensive secondary is so bad. I mean, David Long Jr. is a he was fairly decent playing on the boundary. I, I liked him a little bit better in the slot last year. Troy Hill, you just don't know exactly how they're going to utilize him. He's a decent slot defender as well. But Jordan Fuller and Taylor Rapp, that's a very shaky safety combination then uh, to back up that secondary. Jalen Ramsey carries that team a lot higher than they probably should. And that's me saying that Jalen Ramsey is the, one of the best slot defenders and also the best boundary cornerback in the NFL. Those two teams, the Rams and the Bengals being above the Broncos, just really does not make sense to me. Yeah, and what adds to it and is how certain members of the Broncos secondary are viewed as highly as they are. Another part of this conversation that we're getting into is the ESPN thing. And to kind of dive into that just here briefly is Patrick Sertan was ranked the seventh best corner in an overall grading thing from NFL executives where multiple of them had them as their top guy. I mean, Denver's ranked 12th, so obviously all seven teams above them don't have one of them. And I know that it's a whole thing or don't have one of those corners that the NFL execs view so highly. And I also understand that, yes, it's viewing as the whole system as a whole. But Patrick Sertan is viewed so highly. And then you have, as you mentioned, you have probably with the Rams, at least you have one corner there who's without a doubt, the best corner in the NFL currently. You have another team that has two corners that are, one of them's fine, like the other one's actually good, and the other one's just meh, with Eli Apple and um, Chidobi Awuji. Eli Apple, he didn't get targeted a whole lot. He actually is um, had a high snap per target, snap per, um, or uh, target per snap and target per snap. Uh, <laughs> Reception Receptions. per target, or yep. hold on, I have to pull it up because I can't remember what it is. Snap it's per reception. target, snap per reception. There we go. Yep. There you go. Um, uh, it, let me jump in here really high. fast. Let me jump in here really fast and say hello to Phil. Uh, thanks, Phil, for for joining the show. Good evening, Lance, Eric, and Scott. Hashtag Let's Ride. Uh, thank you, Phil, for joining us. Go ahead, Eric. Sorry about that. Is um, those are definitely high, but when he did get targeted, as you said, he was basically burnt toast. He allowed. I believe the tied for second most touchdowns in it and his reception percentage allowed was in the bottom, like 10 or 15 or something like that. If I remember correctly off the top of my head, I can actually, I can actually pull that up. Um, have it. Among a certain amount of corners who've put, uh, who played at least a certain amount of snaps. Um, maybe not. No, I mean, he, okay. So he was 42nd. He allowed 60.8 targets to be caught. So, Maybe he had a little bit better, or 60.9. Maybe he had a little bit better year in terms of that. But, again, seven touchdowns isn't a great thing. He had two He had two interceptions, which, hey, that's fine. But if you're going to sit there and allow a large number of touchdowns, you need to have a high number of interceptions to make up for it, which or is one of the reasons why. Hmm? Or, or pass deflections, another one. Or pass deflections. Yep. It's this boom and boomer bust thing. That, that's why Trevon Diggs is viewed so highly. Yes, he consistently got burnt, but he had so many interceptions. He had so many big plays for the defense that it balanced out. Teams are willing to bet on the risk-reward aspect of it as long as you're giving them the reward. And he, Eli Apple didn't. And for a guy who sits there and rated who, who the sets are, I guess, fine overall, he sure did a lot of talking on Twitter, which definitely didn't help because then – his bad performances just got highlighted even more. Guys sitting here talking about completely shutting down Jerry Judy in a game that he barely covered Jerry Judy. Yeah, and it seemed like every time that Jerry Judy was lined up against him, Jerry Judy was wide open. He just never got targeted. Like, it was... 
it doesn't make sense the the egotistical attitude of a guy like an Eli Apple who was a former first round pick and has bounced around the NFL and I I guess I'll say he's had a little bit of a resurgence with Cincinnati but is it really a resurgence when you allow seven touchdowns in a single season like no that that's not like your whole job as playing the cornerback position is to not let guys catch the football take the football away and don't let people score like that that's what you do as a defender period doesn't matter what if you're playing cornerback or not uh let's pivot really fast i want to say hello to everybody here in the chat we've got gary leeds palmer jumping in here uh hey lance and eric and scott uh rankings in july question mark until the practice starts i don't pay much attention to them and that's that, that's fine i understand where you're coming from with that gary it's just we're in sports talk like we're, we're pundits <laughs> and we we're, we're analysts for a reason it gives us something to talk about it and it's always fun to kind of give our analysis and 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 go through some of this stuff and, and just have a fun conversation like i said at the beginning of the show from multiple different angles there was a great question and eric i want to get your kind of take on this a little bit later if we have an opportunity to um with uh with ryan edwards over at koa and the poll question he posted on his twitter account the other day like what if you had to uh if you had to choose one player in the top 10 at any position on the field, which position would you prefer? I think that that leads to an open-ended conversation where we can have a lot of fun with that. If we get an opportunity, I want to circle back to that. Uh, Travis Weber jumping in here. Good evening, Lance, Eric, Broncos country. Happy Friday. I think seven is a good spot for Sertan. I am not inclined to disagree with you on that. Based on what we showed this last season, he was very good. Uh, We've got – Dylan Von Arts jumping in here. Happy very early birthday to Dale, and that would be Dale Fleming. Thank you, Dale, and happy birthday, uh, early birthday to Dale Fleming from everybody here at uh, Mile High Huddle and the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. We've got Jeff Noyes in the house. We've got Mike S. in the house. We've got uh, Dakota Whitehouse in the house saying, let's hope pa- uh, Pastor Tan II doesn't waver off too much this coming season. I think he's going to take another step forward in this defense. He's going to be a little bit more aggressive on the boundary, utilizing his physicality and stuff like that. Uh, Dylan Von Arx, as always, running the chat behind the scenes. Um, Kevin Gray in the house as well. Thank you all for joining us on the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. We appreciate you all for joining us tonight. Now, one other thing that I – want to kind of address here with with just the pff rankings and stuff like that you look at the the top of the list obviously baltimore with the versatility in their secondary with everything that they have um bringing kyle hamilton into the fold there's a lot of depth there i think that they should probably knock down just a notch because i have a big issue with kyle fuller uh, within the slot and eric we talked about that a little bit but the inconsistencies that he had in um in denver this last season really left a bad taste in my mouth i like tampa bay a little bit better in in that aspect um Cleveland probably drops down a bit there's there's just a there's a bunch of different holes that you can poke in all of these teams but the one that I really want to highlight specifically is uh, let's see the one three five six number six overall was the Buffalo Bills they're returning Tredavious White who when he's healthy is most certainly a um a top three cornerback top five for sure definitely not number five but one of the better cornerbacks in the NFL. He's coming off of a torn ACL that he suffered within the season last year. And they also have Kyer Elam as the projected starting cornerback opposite of Tredavious White. Um, Teron Johnson and um, that safety duo of Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde is arguably the best safety duo in the in the NFL. But just the questions on the boundary with their, with their coverage unit leads me to believe that this team should be dropped down just a little bit. Eric, what do you think about that? I mean, I think that the concerns are valid, especially with the rookie. I don't necessarily agree with it with White. Um, ACL injuries are slowly becoming less impactful. Um, 
and you're seeing them come back from them a little bit quicker, a little bit easier, not having this decline in play because as the medicine and the treatments for it improve, it's just not as impactful for it. So I'm not super worried about there. And Tredavious White, in my opinion, is a top five corner when he's healthy in the NFL. And I yeah. don't think there's really much of a debate about that. No. The point about the rookie is valid. But if you're going to hammer at, not necessarily hammer, um, if you're going to mention that with the Bills, then I mean, you got to mention that with every single other team because every single other team has those same kind of co- uh, concerns about it um, when it comes to their their secondary even the team that you have at number one they have those concerns with their with injuries as it as well mm-hmm. and i would say that none of their their corners are on that level of tradavius white is when he is healthy right um i think kyle fuller i think your concerns with kyle fuller touching back on that a little bit i think they're valid concerns he was rather inconsistent but when he moved into the slot he played really well and really really good football for the broncos last year i mean he allowed he was targeted one less time than um Bryce Callahan allowed one more catch than Bryce Callahan did. Their numbers are rather identical across the board. Like they, I mean, he played extremely good football for it or for the season. But anyways, you're, you have the Buccaneers at it going back to the whole health thing. Um, Sean Murphy bunting has consistent injury concerns. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Carlton Davis has had injury concerns, I believe. I know he did last year, and I think he did yeah. the year before. Mm-hmm. Then if you want to go on to the Cleveland Browns, I mean, that's just a mess of them there. Denzel Ward's out with them, Greg, um, Greg Newsom, Greedy Williams, Grant Dell, but they've all had a laundry list of them. So where are you kind of drawing that line of how impactful the injury can be? I would rather trust Tredavious White and the rookie over some of these other guys. And especially with the other, I think that, you know, thinking about it, I have Buffalo at seventh in my own rankings simply because for it, but I'm starting to think that I'd actually move them up because that is one of the best, if not the best safety duos in the NFL. That is a really strong corner. And if Elam and white play to the level that they can play, that is an outstanding secondary. And the weak spot is Taron Johnson, who is probably a top 10 nickel corner, maybe top seven, eight. Well, I'm I'm glad that you just said that because in the so touchdown wire with Doug Farrar, it was I believe is the one that did it. Uh, he ranked Taron Johnson number eight in the NFL in terms of slot cornerback. So you hit the nail right on the head there. And I love Taron Johnson. I think that he's underrated, quite honestly. I think that he should deserve a little bit higher of a spot on that because in that um, in that slot coverage, it was slot coverage guys. It wasn't slot cornerbacks because if you're talking about slot cornerbacks, that's a completely different ranking than just slot coverage guys because. Um, they had Jalen Ramsey in there. I, I believe he was number seven, but then you've got Tyran Matthew in there. Uh, there was another safety that was in there as far as a slot coverage player, um, slot cornerback. And, uh, there was another name on that. And Jody Moncrief just brought him up. Chris Harris jr. Uh, why is he not signed yet? I don't know yet. I, I think age and just the, the drop off in his play over the last couple of seasons is part of that Jody, but, uh, he was another player listening to that. Taron Johnson, as far as a pure slot coverage cornerback, is one of the best slot coverage cornerbacks in the NFL, probably a top five if you just limit it to cornerback. Now, bringing in the safety coverage and stuff like that, that's a completely different conversation, which is why I like where they went with it. But at the same time, I disagree with it because with the, with the onset of the three safety look and stuff like that, a lot of your nickel looks are typically with cornerbacks on the field and not safety. So regardless, that's a tangent for in a conversation for another time. I guess the another the only other big one that I have as an issue being ranked above the the Broncos here 
in the uh, um, in the PFF secondary rankings would be the Tennessee Titans with Christian Fulton, who I thought played very well. But Caleb Farley's coming off of another torn ACL. Elijah Molden is a, no, a guy I know you really like. I love Kevin Byard. He's a top five safety in the NFL. And then Amani Hooker. It, it's not that I have a huge issue with where they're at in this list. Having them above Denver when you've got a guy listed on your starting um in your starting five and Caleb Farley that's coming off that torn ACL. And yes, Eric, I know you just went to say that uh, the, the torn ACL is not the, the worst injury in the world. This is Caleb Farley's second torn ACL. And I believe it's on the same knee coming back to his time at Virginia tech just a couple of seasons ago. That's a big problem to me. And at least with Denver and yes, you know, you have the injury concerns with Ronald Darby with K1 Williams as well, but at least those guys aren't coming off of major injuries coming out of this last season. Caleb Farley is. And to me, that is that is a concern. When you have a major injury like that, a torn ACL or a, a, a blown Achilles or something like that, that is a major concern. At least Denver's coming into the season riding five guys that are fully healthy coming out, out of this offseason. To me, that holds a little bit more weight. For me, it's not the necessarily the severity of the injury. It is the fact it is the second of the same injury and it was to the same knee. Right. That is where my concern is when it right. comes to Caleb Farley. That is something that separates him from the whole conversation with Tredavious White. Yep. Multiple injuries of the same thing are going to cause a pro are going to start causing issues. And Caleb Farley, I mean, I absolutely love I I was a big fan of his. Yep. Seems to be pointing to be a miss of him because injuries, every I everything everybody I talked to was talking about how they wouldn't be that big of a deal that he was over them. And then yeah, another injury and then another injury. And he dealt with like two or three injuries before the season even started then right. towards ACL. So there's this laundry list of injuries that are happening with him. And just the consistency of it is a concern for me. It's the same thing with Darby and Quan Williams. It's not necessarily the, the um, what the injuries were is that they just keep dealing with the different injuries. Something always seems to happen. Yep. Um, I'm in full agreement with you. I wouldn't have the Titans as high. As much as I like them, as much as I what I, I like what they have done, um, Elijah Molden he had a solid season, but it wasn't great. Um, Kevin Biard is one is probably the best safety or top five safety in the in the NFL at the very least, if not top three. Mm -hmm. um, and then Amani Hooker, he's fine. He's probably he's he's probably a top sixteen safety. Christian Fulton is just okay. He's missed some time with injury. He had a solid season, not the best. So it's. I can't put them above Denver because you have a guy who's I wouldn't take Christian Fulton over any of the Broncos starting three corners. No, I wouldn't take Caleb Farley over any of the three and his injury concerns are so concerning. Elijah Molden's a nickel corner. I might take him over Quan Williams simply because of Molden has shown a better consistency to stay out there on the field. Um, Kevin Bard and Justin Simmons are essentially a wash to me. Yep, And I would take Kareem Jackson over Amani Hooker, despite the fact that I think Kareem Jackson is hitting that down point. And then you also have Caden Stearns there. And I like yep. the depth the Broncos have on the secondary a little bit. Yep. But I'm surprised that you said that there is only one more that you would take over. I would take, I would rank Denver's secondary above the Saints. Right. It, it, to, to me, I like New Orleans and what they have. Marshawn Lattimore to me is is a top probably seven cornerback in the NFL when he's playing at a high level. He had a bad season this last year, and I'll fully admit to that one. Uh, I really like Marcus May. Losing Marcus Williams really hurts them. It, it, it does a lot, and obviously that's a big reason why you have the um, the, the Ravens number one in, in this PFF uh, ranking scale. But they went out and they got Tyron Matthew, who – 
despite his age, is still playing at an incredibly high level. And they have one of the best nickel coverage cornerbacks in Chauncey Gardner-Johnson in the NFL. Tyron Matthew, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, them being able to be versatile, moving around the box, moving around the slot, dropping back into the, the deep part of the, uh, the secondary. The one big question mark, and I'll, I'll give this one to you 100%, Paulson Adebo is just not good at football, guys. Like he's, And that's who they have listed as a starting cornerback opposite of Marshawn Lattimore. But Lattimore is a top five-ish coverage cornerback on the boundary. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is a top two uh, nickel cornerback. Tyron Matthew, as far as a slot safety, a guy that's just a versatile chess piece, you can move him, move him all over the place. He's a great player. And then Marcus May is in the top half of the um, of starting safeties in the NFL. That's a very well-rounded, uh, very well-rounded, versatile and hard hitting safety, uh, a secondary. If you ask me, I like the saints a little bit more than I do uh, the Broncos. In fact, I have uh, the saints at number seven and the Broncos at number eight in my, uh, in secondary rankings. And, and that's, that's the biggest reason why is because there's so many versa there's so much versatility with the players that they have there and you don't have a whole lot of injury concerns. Um, so well, I guess outside outside of Matthew, I, I will say that Matthew can get nicked up pretty easily, but uh, that, that's with him being 32 years old. Well, and Marcus May. Right. That, that's right. <laughs> um, so here's my pushback on that. I mean, you, first of all, you hit the nail on the head. Adebo's not that good. Um, he still has a chance to grow and develop. I mean, there's no one thinking about that. But where he is right now, he, he's not that good. He would probably be... I mean, corner four on the Broncos. Marshawn Lattimore is, honestly, he's right there. He's he's above Patrick Zertan. Don't get me wrong. I think he's a better player because we've seen it for longer. Right. Um. So, I, But it's really a wash to me because of age being a factor in everything. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, I think. Uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is better than Quan Williams. I like Tyron Matthew, but he started to slow, show some decline in his play last year. Marcus May, I fully disagree with you that he's a top 16 safety in the NFL. I fully disagree with that. Okay. I don't think he's that good. And part of the reason why is I think he's just so limited in coverage. He's not a, he's not good in, in coverage um, hardly at all. I mean, it's just consistent issues in it. Um, he, he consistently allows a lot of catches. He consistently allows a lot of big plays. He doesn't make enough big plays. He's fine as a tackler coming downhill at times. Like, I just don't think that he is that good of a safety. Now, I wouldn't put him bottom 10. Um but I wouldn't I definitely wouldn't put him in the top in the top 16. Um Lawrence Rivera comes in and says I don't know if you prefer Andre Johnson and Chris Harris over who we have now especially for a championship run. Um I'm trying I'm trying to think who you mean by Andre Johnson. Um but Chris Harris, um, at the point at this stage of his career, um, I, I don't see why. I mean, he started to show a decline in Denver um, the year before he wanted the the extension or the the pay raise. He got the the pay raise, and his decline continued, and it's just continued to decline. And then he started dealing with injuries. It's just been a consistent decline for Chris Harris. Um, and then Gary Lee's Palmer says, yo, Lance, didn't mean to sound confrontational. I'm here to learn for you guys. Love your work, man. Um, I think this is about the, the rankings in July. Yeah. And um, no, I mean, we, we, we don't we didn't take it as confrontational or anything like that. I, I actually agree with you. Rankings at this point kind of mean little. Um, but this is also the dead time of, of the offseason. 
Um, and it's something worth talking about. It's something worth getting our opinion on. Um, but no, you didn't not to me and I, and Lance, I don't think you came off as you, no. Gary, you didn't come off as confrontational. No, I, uh, I'm, we appreciate you and your support consistently. Yeah. Gary's been one of the, one of a uh, great, a great friend of mine on Facebook for a while now. Um, and, uh, no, you, you weren't confrontational. You, you came across as just saying your opinion, and I, I don't disagree with it. I hate Mount Rushmore's. Like, Mount Rushmore's are absolutely terrible. Uh, the top 10 <laughs> list. But the one thing, and like I said in, in that one little bit, is it's it, not to sound confrontational. It's something to talk about, and you can have a fun conversation with it on just from multiple different ways. So to me, that's why it's, it's, it is worth talking about. And as Eric said, it's the dead time. We need, uh, we need a good topic. Um, that hasn't been beaten into the ground. We can jump into some of the Hall of Fame stuff here in a minute too. I want to kind of address your opinions on that if we get the opportunity. But let's let's grab a couple more comments here and just shout out to the chat. Everybody's just riding along with us. I'm sorry, guys. I'm trying to do the best I can to keep up. Scott's doing a great job of throwing everything up. But I'm bouncing around trying to read and stuff like that between four different articles, and I'm trying to do the best I can. I do apologize for that. But um, let's see here. Uh, Jody has a question for Eric. Uh, how good do you think that Jonas Griffith can be, Eric? Um, it's tough because he definitely has the athleticism, especially for his size. I mean, he's like six foot. I think he's six foot four, two hundred and fifty pounds, give or take. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, dude's massive, and he moves so well and so fluidly um, that he has a chance to be really good. And he did so well instinctively against the run. There were some hit or miss moments in pass coverage, which typically comes with time and more experience. Um. But right now, from what I've heard and what I saw last year, it wouldn't surprise me if he makes a push to be the starting linebacker. There is a lot of love for him in the building. He's supposedly has shown a lot of growth. He's shown a lot of growth in the meetings and picking up the new playbook. Like, and honestly, if they're going to go to more of a more defense or a more defensive look where there's only one off-ball linebacker, um, like. Jonas Griffith would be having that athleticism and the fluidity and the sideline to sideline range that he has like would be the way to go. Um, nothing against Josie Jewell. Josie Jewell was the best linebacker for the Broncos last year before he got hurt. Yes, he was right. the better linebacker of the three for agents that they had. And that wasn't even really close. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a reason why well, Alexander Johnson is still a free agent and Kenny Young signed for a really cheap deal. Um, like there's a reason for that. And Jewell is a very fine um linebacker because of his instincts but he doesn't really have the range and i think that jewel is a good pairing for griffith because you can help him with the mental aspect of it yeah i i don't disagree with you I, and the one thing i like about jonas griffith is he has the requisite length too he's got long arms and the fluidity you were talking about that athleticism mm-hmm. his ability and coverage is definitely underappreciated um yeah. i i think that he he's probably going to be one of those starting linebackers for this team and it, this training camp is going to highlight a big part of that and like you said not to not to you know trash on josie jewel who's a guy that i really like i i like his blue collar mentality he just comes to work he knows what he's doing a very instinctual player he puts himself in the right position all the time which is why he was one of the best linebackers for this team this last season but when you have that ability all four of those things, the, the, the come to work hard, knowing what you're doing, put yourself in the right positions. And then you have length fluidity and athleticism like Jonas Griffith has. That's why he's going to be that first linebacker on the field. And I'm absolutely stunned that you mentioned his length because I remember pre-draft you, Nick and I were talking about linebackers and um, is uh talking about linebackers and how length is important for it and you kind of push back a little bit on it and 
length is extremely important and the simple reason mm -hmm. why is because it can help make those overthrows where where you're trying to throw over the linebackers under the safeties much more difficult if you can have the length and just make that an even tougher throw and that's why you're seeing this trend in the nfl go towards more lengthy guys and jonas griffith as you said he has that which is such a great piece to it and then lawrence rivera, um, rivera came in and said alexander johnson is who i meant um sorry um alex Alexander Johnson was fun to watch um, because of the, the the big hits he would bring. I mean, he was really good against the run. He was good as a blitzer, but he was a consistent issue in coverage. And with the NFL now, you just can't have that, especially if you're going to fewer linebackers. I'm, I, I, I am a little stunned that he hasn't signed on somewhere because I think that he has a good enough run defender to make up for that. But it is telling about how much of a concern he is in coverage to not have been signed, even up to the stage where teams could be looking for, hey, we need additional depth. He can contribute on special teams as well. He's just, he, he's a fine athlete, but he's not a smooth or fluid mover that you need in coverage. Um, so I, I like who they have. Um, Alexander Johnson, nothing against him. He's fine, but he was also older. I mean, with his whole everything that happened in his history after college led to him being an older rookie. And that's also playing an impact into it too. Yeah. Uh, Travis Weber jumping in here with some stars. Thank you, Travis, for joining us as always, man. Uh, I like the idea of Pat Sertan and Michael Ojemudia. If Michael keeps it up from hearing all the good stuff that was said at camp, I, you know, no, I'm, no, I'm, no, no. What we're getting ready to say is about why Michael Ojemudia shouldn't be on the roster. No, that's not what I'm saying. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. I like Michael Ojemudia as a boundary cornerback. And we, we went back and forth even with Scott after the show. I, I see twitch issues. I see hip fluidity issues, change of direction skills and stuff that are all problems you need to have to cover shiftier slot cornerbacks. I like Michael Ojemudia on the boundary. And quite honestly, if he continues to show that he – like. A big thing is his, is health right now. Coming off of the the, the, the nagging 
quad or hamstring injury that he had this last season. That's a big thing. I want to see how he's coming back from that. And all of the, the reports that we're hearing out of camp, out of OTAs and stuff like that, is that he is actually playing like a man with his hair on fire. He played really well in week 18 last season against the Kansas City Chiefs. I like the player. Don't get me wrong. There were some issues that I have, and I kind of highlighted some of that. But drops as a cornerback, when the ball hits you in the hands, you got to catch that football, dude. You dropped two interceptions against the Pittsburgh Steelers week three of the 2019 season, whatever his rookie year. You got to catch those footballs and you got to be a better tackler on the outside. He brings the pop, but he doesn't bring his arms. Like he, he hits and drives, but he got to wrap up, dude. Like bring that, bring that aspect with it. If he has grown as a player, I'm, I'm all for Michael Ojemudia being a potential starting cornerback. And he's going to see a lot of time, especially if Ronald Darby goes down. Michael Ojemudia is going to be the next guy up over Damari Mathis, who I've come to appreciate his game as well. But Ojemudia and Sertan on the boundary. If you want to talk about lengthy physical cornerbacks that have bad change of direction skills but decent footwork, they're one and the same. I, I, Sertan's better, but if you understand what I'm saying, like like those two guys on the boundary, you could be hard pressed to find a better duo of guys that do very similar things uh, uh, excellently. I guess is the way I'm trying to put that. I'm and, sorry. Go ahead. Before I get, before I get to this, I just want to touch on the Ojemudia comment there. Um, there, there are issues. I mean, there's no no one's arguing that. Despite all my poking at you, Lance, there, I have no argument. There were struggles from Ojemudi as a rookie. Tackling, dropped interceptions, those were issues with him. Um, as well as just staying in phase and coverage. Like, th those were issues with him, and he should grow. And while we saw major improvements in the season finale against the Kansas City Chiefs last year, that was one game. Where is he at now? All signs are saying that he progressed. But we got to see it in game. We got to see it in preseason. And then we got to see it translate to regular season because practice is practice. So, like, there's a reason why that whole thing with who was it? Allen Iverson. That's the guy's name. Yep. We're talking about practice. Like, that whole yep. meme, right? That was him. Yep. That was um, or whoever. Um, anyways, like, there's a reason for that is practice isn't the same intensity of a real game. Even when you have pads on, you're still not going fully 100% nowadays in practice. There's still limitations on it. You're still not going and completely hammering away at guys. You're trying to be safe because you don't want to hurt your teammates. Um, you don't, you don't want to cause injury to anybody really during a practice. So there, there's still a thing. So I want to see those improvements on that. As for Baron Browning, I hope he, Travis Weber says, I hope it doesn't come back to haunt Denver by moving Browning to edge when his coverage was pretty good at, in, as an inside linebacker. I agree. And here's my thing on this is, I'm not super mad about Browning being moved. I'm cautiously optimistic about it. I think that he showed enough to be kept as an inside linebacker, but it's not like he's coming into it completely blind because he did play a lot of that hybrid role in college. And he does. And a lot of people might felt, I believe Nick was one of them, um, believed that Browning would be better as an edge in the NFL than in it, than in linebacker. So hopefully we see that. And one of my things with thinking with this is we have Bradley Chubb on the last year of his deal. We have Malik Reed, who's a free, unrestricted free agent after this year. Maybe Browning is being moved isn't just because they're comfortable with Jonas Griffith and Josie Jewell, which very much seems to be the case at the linebacker position. I mean, Griffith talking about his athleticism and stuff there. I mean, him and Browning made a great duo, but if you're going to move one away, well, Browning is the one that you'd that makes more sense to move. But he has, I mean, he has the athleticism. He can still play this hybrid role. 
but you have those two free agents. So maybe this is also a move to protect themselves for the future a little bit as edge rusher is a position where you really need four guys as part of a rotation mm -hmm. to try and help keep that. See some improvement from Jonathan Cooper. And then after this year, you don't have to, you don't have to bring Chubb back. You don't have to bring Malik Reed back. Yep. You can sit there and you can be fine with Nick Benito, Randy Gregory, Baron Browning, and Jonathan Cooper. That I think is part of the reason for the move. And as you said, Tra um, Travis, I hope it does not come back to haunt Denver. And I hope it doesn't end up having a major negative impact on Browning because sometimes when you try to move a player, it doesn't work and you move them back. They're just completely ruined as a player. Well, uh, look at, uh, damn it. What was the uh, Justin Holland, uh, the, uh, the edge rusher out of uh, Oregon that was a Vic Fangio pet project, uh, former fifth round pick that just never panned out in Denver because they tried to cross train him at off ball linebacker, which he was never really great at even at Oregon and also on the edge. He was, I don't want to say too tall well, to play the inside I'm linebacker push, position, but he wasn't quite lengthy enough to play. I'm the, pushing the back edge. on this. Okay, go ahead. Because the reason why he got to on the field first as an off-ball linebacker was due to injuries. They yeah. weren't initially cross-training him. They were training him at an edge. Then in that Jacksonville game, they dealt with injuries, and they had to insert him into off-ball, and he got completely destroyed, and then they moved him back. And from yep. there, they started cross-training him because of extra insurance for it. Right, I, and it's not, not like he, it's not like he was doing really good at edge either before that. Right, they, they to just... for going on and playing, what, turning it around with the the Rams, but the situation in Denver was a little different. I'm not going to disagree with you on that. I, I was just bringing it up as that example of where you know it, it can be kind of harmful to a player's development. Now, the one thing that I will say is that Baron Browning at Ohio State was actually a very good edge defender. There was a lot of people that said, where do you play him in the NFL? Is he off ball? Is he an edge? Like, do you want him to go backwards away from the line of scrimmage? He showed with his athleticism and his fluidity that he had the ability to do that. But he also has the ability to drive vertically on the football and get after the quarterback coming off of the edge. To me... I think that while it may be a problem, and, I, and I, I'm with you, Eric, I hope it doesn't bite the Broncos in the ass on this one for them to uh, to move him away from that off-ball linebacker position. To me, I think it creates a lot of versatility, especially for this year, and then builds that depth going into next year, like you said. For this year, though, I think that you are going to see a little bit of Baron Browning on the edge and a little bit of Baron Browning off the ball. And I think you're going to be able to see a little bit of Nick Benito do that as well because at Oklahoma, his length and athleticism and his fluidity – when asked to be off the ball in a way and as a blitzer, you can create a lot of sugar rust packages where you can have a couple of guys that are really good blitzers, quick twitch athletes that can come up the A-gaps and stuff like that. And with Baron Browning and Nick Benito having the ability to do something like that, you can get very creative and very multiple along the defensive front seven. If Nick Benito can have the ability to turn and run in coverage and, and play like that, along with Baron Browning, and then if you get a Jonas Griffith out on the field as well, you've got three guys that can play – off of the ball just a little bit and still attack from multiple different angles and create a lot of simulated pressure and manufacture pressure against the quarterback. I like the idea of, of getting Baron Browning away from or onto the line of scrimmage and closer towards the football because there's so many different ways you can utilize him. And with the, the injury concerns of, of Bradley Chubb, the injury concerns of Randy Gregory, you need two more guys that can step in immediately and fill a, a, a multiple different hats along the defensive front. It's a great idea. And I was waiting for either you or somebody else to make this comment about Demarcus Walker. Now, Demarcus Walker, the whole thing, whole story with him is there's actually a thing to it. He actually approached the coaching staff for a move. And the reason why he did that was he got sick. 
He got a stomach bug. He got really bad food poisoning, and he lost almost like twenty to thirty pounds. It seems like I think it was pounds. I think it was close. To, I think it was closer to thirty, but I can't remember exactly for mm -hmm. sure. And he wanted to be moved to edge at the dropped weight so he can continue to do something instead of basically focusing on getting that weight back up in a healthy manner because that was really his option from that was provided to him by the coaching staff and that is like it, we we got to get you back up to weight and he's like well play me at edge and so they did but here's the here's the other issue with Demarcus Walker he was never a good interior defensive lineman in the first place he got overdrafted by mistake that I've talked about on here before that was a complete crap show by by the John Elway and the Broncos front office during the 2017 draft it was literally a mistake that they drafted him and he, he he was a guy who yeah he had a lot of sacks in college that came almost four seconds consistently after the snap of the ball mm -hmm. coverage sack guru was demarcus walker i don't say i don't think that the position change position change ruined him that he asked for i just think that we finally saw him as what he was and that was not a very good football player because right. he was never he was never good against the run either. All right, so I've got a great question here from Jeff Noyes that I want to bring into the into the conversation. This is an amazing amazing one. It goes into X's and O's of defensive football. And Jeff says, uh, in a four two five defense, are not the linebackers playing both inside and outside at the same time? No. You can have guys that can do both, but they are not playing inside and outside at the same time. A four-two-five defense is four down linemen, two off-ball linebackers, and five in the secondary. That's where a well, typical nickel defense. And Eric, go ahead and expand on this. That's just a quick baseline. Well, okay. So the number whole numbering thing for defensive fronts is rather outdated, and don't mean anything harm or harsh on you, Jeff. Um, like three, you look at three four defenses. That's three down linemen, four linebackers, but two of those guys are edge rushers. So you're looking more like a four two, what four two four, right? Yeah, Matt. something like that. Yep. yep. You're looking at a more four two four front. Um, in a four two five front, that I'm expecting the Broncos to look at is that you'd have basically be a three four that three four look. You have your four guys on on the line of scrimmage, or your five guys on the line of scrimmage, because one of those linebackers that you're counting as part of the two is moving up on that. And then you still have your three down linemen. Then you have your other edge rusher. Then you have an off ball. So it looks more like a five, one, uh, a five, one, five kind of look instead of a four, two, five. Um, because of this, because of this aspect in, in most situations like this in a four, two, five, it could be a situation where both of your linebackers are playing more of the, the linebacker role, guarding the, um, guarding the gaps, playing coverage, or it could be just one of them and the other one is dropping down as another edge rusher or is starting off as an edge rusher. Like it, it makes it difficult. So there's a lot, there's a lot more intricacies to it. Um, and just in a four, two, five defense um, to answer to, okay. So to answer your question is not necessarily can be the, can be the case, but not necessarily. And it's just as a matter of the, how is that four, two, five actually looking? Is it more of that five, one, five? Is it a true four, two, four two five like what is the situation there so give me just a second here because i've got an image pulled up i've got to try to find the right tab here because i've got so much stuff going on um i believe it's this one yeah okay so i'm going to share this screen really quick for you guys and if you can't see it i, I do apologize but 
this is kind of the base alignment of a nickel four two five defense. Is like Eric says, you got four down linemen, two off ball linebackers, and you'll have your four, your four so boundary cornerback, boundary cornerback, and then you'll have two safeties deep with a nickel overhang, and that can be a safety or a cornerback. That is a basic look at it, what a four two five defense is. Eric did a lot better job of describing it in terms of how to strategically align it and stuff like that. But that is a basic look at a nickel four two five defense. So hopefully, Jeff, that answers your question well, in the long way. And then just a brief, a brief picture example of that. Well, I'd say the picture is just a very blank, basic four two five look. Yep, it, it, it is. And there's there's a lot of different ways to to go about that. So now as I close that out and hopefully it uh, goes away. So mm-hmm. hopefully, Jeff, that does a, a good job. And if you have any more questions, please get at us on Facebook, on Twitter. Doesn't matter. Get at us. We can help to describe a little bit more of that. I think that that was a really good job of describing that by you, Eric. And, and thank you for that. Great, great question. Um, Scott says no need to call him off ball. Uh, linebacker by definition is linebacker by definition. I I. Yes. Yes. And no. <laughs> uh, anyways, not to come at you, Scott. Uh, where were we at here? There was another question here. Uh, Eric jumping in, uh, Jody jumping in here. Eric is Gregory a 10 plus sack guy. I mean, he could be, um, the advanced anal- analytics suggests that he could be, but the question is, can he stay out there on the field? And it's not a matter of, you know, the drug issues. We've talked about that before. It is a matter of, can he stay healthy to stay out there on the field? to reach that point analytics again suggest that he can be it's just got to have the have the right amount of stamps to hit that point right i i don't disagree with you on that one a big thing is the injury concerns um the suspension concerns that he had previous in his in the earlier part of his career not seeing the field let's not take away from the talent this guy has like when he was at nebraska he was widely considered a, a top 15 pick in the nfl draft but he couldn't stay clean, couldn't keep himself on the field. And there was so many personal character concerns with him. He ended up falling out of the first round, but the talent has always been there with Randy Gregory. The the run stuffing ability is definitely a concern for sure. Um, I think there's some health issues that go into that and usage issues as well. But with Randy Gregory, the, 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 uh, the ability to get after the quarterback has never been a question. I think that he can be a 10 sack guy. And I think with the Broncos paying him five years and $70 million, he needs to be a 10 sack guy yeah. for sure. I, it goes into another really fun conversation. I'm going to pivot off into this here. Is Randy Gregory capable of being a top 10 edge defender at the position in the NFL? Like, and how would you value that? What what would you want from a guy that can be a 10 plus sack guy? Is that a top 10 guy? Is it a top 15, top 20 guy? Where do you have the value of that? And which would you prefer? A guy like a Randy Gregory, who you have a bunch of potential, a guy like Bradley Chubb, who has a bunch of potential. You got to you know, figure out if they can be that top 10 guy or a, a bona fide top 10 guy and then a mishmash of guys that surround him. Uh, kind of similar to what the Broncos had last year and Von Miller. I mean, Von Miller and with Bradley Chubb being hurt, he had to deal with Jonathan Cooper, Malik Reed, um, as far as the guys going with him. Do you want two guys that are in that 15 to 20 area that can still get the job done? Or do you want to have that top 10 guy? Which would you prefer? It's a loaded question Uh, for sure. It's a loaded question for sure. So where would I rather have a top 10 guy at? Yes. Where would you prefer? So, where would you prefer on defensive side of the football? Where would you prefer to have a top ten player at? Edge rusher. They have a much bigger impact on the game overall than any other position on the defense. I don't disagree with that. And 
it goes back to, I mean, look at the, go, go into the conversation here. We're talking about top 10 cornerbacks, and this is why I think that this is a relevant conversation here. Um, go into the ESPN rankings of the top 10 cornerbacks in the NFL. Jalen Ramsey, uh, Marshawn Lattimore, Jair Alexander in Green Bay, Xavier Howard in Miami, JC Jackson in uh, Los Angeles with the Chargers, Denzel Ward, Pat Sertan is number seven, Marlon Humphrey, number eight, AJ Terrell, number nine, and then Stefan Diggs, number 10. The uh, the ability of those guys, I think there's not a whole lot of drop-off to those guys. Diggs is the one thing that stands out to me is he should not be on this list. I think Darius Slay should be there first. But like the, the drop-off from ten, from 1 to 10, I don't think is necessarily as precipitous as it is from 1 to 10 at the edge. I think that the, the guys, the top-tier edge defenders you got, TJ Watt, uh, Miles uh, Garrett, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, those guys, uh, Von Miller up there at the top – is a hell of a lot better than what the guy what they have at the number ten position at the edge rusher on their list, and I believe that was Brian Burns um, from Carolina. Brian Burns to me, I don't think belongs in that top ten. I think that you can get uh, another couple of different guys. I think Cameron Jordan maybe made this snub list on that. I'd have to pull it up. Regardless, to me I, and Eric, I, I don't disagree with you as far as would you rather prefer to have the top ten player at the edge? To me, in in, in my estimation where I would go I think that top 10 cornerback is so much more valuable to you because while there may not be that precipitous drop off from 1 to 10 that top 10 player from 10 to 20 there's a long ways of a fall from 10 to 20 at the cornerback position it's so much harder from 10 to 20 at the edge rusher position I think there's enough balance there that if you got two guys in that 10 to 10 to 20 area you can make up for having that one in the top 10 because the top three or four they're one of ones in the NFL. Like those guys are the, the cream of the crop from five to 20 is that like, you can get a bunch of the same guys that do a lot of the same things at a very high level from 10 to 20 or even five to 20 at, um, at the cornerback position. There's a massive, massive drop off to number 20 in the NFL. That's just my personal opinion, which is why I would rather take that guy in the top 10 at cornerback than I would at the edge defender. Does that make sense to you? Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. No. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's consistently proven time and time again, you, in order to be more successful as a unit, you got to be able to get after the quarterback, plain and simple. Um, yes, you can sit there in a quick passing game if you don't have the corners to hold up. Well, guess what? If you don't have the pass rusher to get after them, then it doesn't matter. They can still kill you with a quick passing game. Right. And they can still kill you with a longer passing game because your corners eventually will break down. Period. It happens. Getting after the quarterback is just one way that the edge rusher affects the game. 
they affect the game against the run far more than a corner does. They uh, they just affect every aspect of the game far more, and you are more likely to see an offense prepare for an edge rusher than you are a corner. Yes, a corner you can match up one on one and sit there and um, with the receiver and essentially take that receiver out of the game. Well, guess what? They they still have three other weapons that they can do they can handle with. Right. Your edge rusher, it's just a one, essentially a one-on-one matchup, sometimes two-on-one, and the quarterback that you have to schematically prepare to counter. It's not a matter of thing if you have somebody else for it. So yeah, you take the guy at the position that is going to have the most impact overall on the defense, that is going to change the way that the opposing offense has to play against you, then a corner that, yeah, they can take out one receiver, but we have these other guys. Because honestly, let's look at it like this. Saying we're playing against the Den- against the Broncos, what are you more fearful of? a top 10 corner taking out Cortland Sutton for a game or Tim Patrick or whichever one with the other receivers they have or a top 10 edge rusher going against Billy Turner and Garrett Bowles. It would be the top 10 edge rusher going against, uh, against Billy Turner specifically. Cause I think that, that Garrett Bowles is a top 10 left tackle in the NFL. I think it's going to be a fun matchup to watch the, the weak link on that is Billy Turner going against a guy. And that's, that's where that's what, again, this is a multiple angle kind of thing. And I guess I'm looking at it kind of in the wrong direction. I, I don't disagree with you. I do, but I don't. I'm looking at it as like, if you have that top tier cornerback, it makes it so much easier. And look at what we just saw with the PFF cornerback rankings. And they actually have an article on there why having top tier coverage cornerbacks is better than having top top tier edge defenders linked into the article. I, I'll, I'll copy paste that here into the uh, the comment stream, guys, if you want to. Um, if you want to check that out really fast, um, just go through that. And act, there's actually a really good article inside of what I just shared with you guys on why coverage players are more important than having edge defenders. Because with Jalen Ramsey in the Los Angeles Rams, they literally dragged that team up inside of the top 10 because of a guy like Jalen Ramsey. The rest of that secondary is not very good. You want to have those, those premium coverage guys. And that, I guess uh, – going into a bias Here's- point here regardless I, I don't disagree with you I would I, I would I would prefer to have a top 10 player at every single position across the board it's just not possible if I had here's to choose my- one or the other we can have here's, here's my counterpoint for this though is Jalen Ramsey the top corner in the, in the thing jet the Rams into the what the 11th overall nine. spot, 10th it, overall it, was, spot? It, was nine. Nine. it was number nine number nine right Patrick's in seventh according to ESPN according to NFL executives Denver's at 12th right Mm-hmm. What good did it do Denver? Because they had no pass rush whatsoever. I don't. Disagree. How often did we? How often did we see Patrick Sertan still give up a target because of the amount of time he had to sit there and cover a receiver because there was no pass rush whatsoever? Going to the Rams with Jalen Ramsey, they had Aaron Donald, which is great, which is the best interior defensive lineman ever to play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what did they, their defense struggle to do? Play consistently because they didn't have ability off the edge. Once they got that, once Von Miller brought that more consistency, other than Justin Hollins, Leonard Floyd, and the other edge rusher whose name I can't even remember off the top of my head, the defense struggled. They were still a good unit, but adding that edge rusher made them a great unit. And I'm not saying that, oh, you can get by with having bad bad corners, bad secondary. That's not the case at all. You still need talent there. You still need capable players. But if I'm looking at this, I would rather have an A player at the edge position with some C's and D's than an A player um than an A player at corner with some 
um, C's and D's. So having that A player there, and you can fill out your corner, your secondary with B's, you're going to generally have a more consistent performance going on and on. Not to mention the whole fact that the edge position is not nearly as volatile as the cornerback position is. Right. Talking talking about it, I mean, taking out injuries of it. How often do we see a corner have a great year and then fall off and then come back and have another great year? Darius Slate has done that multiple times. Everybody thought that he was on a decline because he had a couple bad years there in Detroit, and he just had an outstanding, in my opinion, the best season of any corner this last year. He was phenomenal. He was. He was it's less volatile. So, again, is it's uh, it, getting after the quarterback is the most important thing on defense, period. Well, Adding I, in the other aspects that an edge rusher can do with their run defense, with their ability to get that with the, get that quarterback guessing, if they can drop into coverage, just adds to it. Corners, yeah, you could see them blitz every now and then, but I think the corner that blitz the most this last year was like twenty times. Like, yeah, it just, it just doesn't happen as often. That's you bring up a lot of a lot of very valid points, and I, again, I'm not going to disagree with you. It's it, part of this is just I want to have a, a an, an open sided conversation. To, and bring in some different different points to everything. Um, we we can go back and forth on this all all we want to, but unfortunately, we're running out of time here. I want to run through uh, the the top top fifteen secondaries. Uh, we'll we'll do you first. Um, top fifteen secondaries in your opinion in the NFL, and starting with number one, you have Baltimore Ravens. And I know people who know certain situation will so they say that's it. that's favoritism or there's some bias there, and I completely get that. But Marcus Peters, when healthy, is still a really good corner. Mm-hmm. Kyle Fuller played really well at the nickel, and I'm not entirely sure he's starting at the nickel this year. Kyle Hamilton with the safeties that they have is is a great trio that they have there. And um uh Humphrey and um there's another corner that plays sparingly for them on the boundary too. Are both really good guys. I think that's probably one of the most well-rounded groups. They've got three strong safeties. They've got four or five deep at corner. They're the best unit overall for me. And that's fair. I have I have Tampa Bay first. Um, Carlton Davis I think is very underrated. I really like Jamel Dean. I think that as a cornerback too, he's uh, really underrated as well. Sean Murphy Bunting, despite being a, an injury concern, when he's on the field, he's a top ten nickel cornerback. And then they got. I think that he's snubbed as far as a top five safety. Antoine Winfield Jr. That kid is absolutely phenomenal. He's all over the field. He's great in coverage. He's uh, he, he's a great tackler. That gets his hands on a lot of footballs. Mike Edwards is probably the the one area and the and the depth of the unit from top to bottom. I don't know the whole depth of the unit, but just based on the five guys they have here, I would I would take uh, the Buccaneers over just because. I'm just not a Kyle Fuller fan. After last year, I have a sour taste in my mouth from Kyle Fuller. Uh, Kyle Hamilton, if you're going to play Kyle Hamilton in the slot, I think that you can have a, a very nasty defense with Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey on the boundary. That's a that's a wild secondary. So, uh, you know what? I'll change my mind. I'll, I'll go Baltimore 1, Tampa 2. Uh, just because that. If if Kyle Hamilton's a starter in the nickel, then uh, then give me give me Baltimore. Um, so I'm going to go and finish running out through this real quick with the rest of mine, and then you can do yours. Number two, I have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, I mean, I don't disagree with what you said. I think that what does it for me is the injury concerns with Murphy Bunting, mm-hmm. with um, Carlton Davis, mm-hmm. and with even Mike Edwards. Um, Antoine Winfield Jr. was great. Jamel Dean is, is a good corner. I just don't think he's quite that elite status that you get with Marcus Peters when he's healthy. 
And Marlon Humphrey, I still would take Marlon Humphrey over Carl over Jamel Dean or Carlton da- or Carlton mm-hmm. Davis. Then I have the Chargers. I mean, I think that is a fantastic group. Obviously, you want Adderley to jump and Derwin James to stay healthy. But I mean, J.C. Jackson, um, the oh crap, Asante Samuel. Like they've just got such a good group there. Green Bay, Miami. That rounds out my top five. And actually, while well, we talked about this a little bit earlier, I decided to go ahead and make the change. And I have Buffalo at six because they are such a well-rounded group. They have the best safety duo, in my opinion, um, on their one of the uh, a really good nickel corner, one of the best corners. Yes, a rookie is a concerning there, but I kind of liked it a little bit, um, like the pick there a little bit with what they're doing. Then I have Denver, Cleveland. I dropped down a little bit. I always had Buffalo above Denver. Um, but I dropped Cleveland down and moved um, Miami, Buffalo, and Denver up one just because of the injuries. I mean, every single player on that secondary for the Cleveland Browns has major injury concerns going forward. Then I have the Saints, the Rams. I almost put the Rams ahead, but I don't want to give that Jalen Ramsey too much weight, that factor too much weight. Then I have the Eagles. Again, Darius Slay is so good. Avante Maddox is a fine mm-hmm. nickel corner. They really bolstered their safety room. Like I like what they have done. Then I have the Tennessee Titans, the Chiefs, Bengals, and then the Panthers throwing out that 15th team. So I've got a handful of differences here. Tampa, uh, So Tampa Bay and Baltimore, I'll, I'll switch those around. Baltimore first, Tampa Bay uh, second. And I, I have the same team, number three. And Jody is going to be super upset here because I don't have the Chargers very overrated. In fact, on the PFF list, I have them underrated. They are number three to me. Derwin James, Nazir Adderley, um, going and getting Asante Asante Samuel Jr., uh, Bryce Callahan, like that that defense, that secondary is going to be just legit. Uh, Green Bay, number four. I have Cleveland, number five, because I think the high-end potential of the players that they have, three players inside the top 50 um, that they've trafted in the last, what, three years. They have three three players that have played uh, two seasons, um, at least two seasons starting on the boundary. Um, like they, they have a lot of very good talent. Uh, John Johnson is an underrated safety in my estimation. And who is the other one that they have? Um, damn it. Uh, I gotta find it here. I lost it. Uh, Grant Delpit. Well, I, I think that there are some issues with what he has, has had in coverage. I think that just the, the chess piece versatility he has, um, there, there's some well-rounded, that's a pretty well-rounded unit to me. Um, Miami number six. I love Xavier Howard. Javon Holland is just a monster. Uh, New Orleans number seven. We kind of went through that just a little bit uh, at the beginning of the show. Go back and check that out, guys. I have Denver number eight. I, I think number eight is is definitely worthy for where the Broncos are at right now. Um, Buffalo just below those guys. Tennessee. I like Elijah Molden. I like Christian Fulton. Um, Caleb Farley is an injury concern, but Kevin Byard brings that unit just a lot of thump, a lot of ability in the backside. Um, I like that to round out. I believe that's t- number ten. Um, I have Philly number 11 uh, for the reasons that you cited there. Avante Maddox is one of my favorite uh, favorite players. It's just versatile. He can play in the slot, can play on the boundary. Uh, Kansas City, number 12. Uh, the Rams, number 13. I have Minnesota at number 14 and Carolina rounding out my top 15. Now, Jody says that you never mentioned anything about Callahan's injuries. Um, Callahan's injuries are concerning. Um, Derwin James's injuries yep. are concerning, yep. but when they're out there on the field, there's still some of the best. And honestly, mm-hmm. we can't project injuries happening. We can just talk about their history a little bit, but this is projecting. I mean, assuming they're staying out there on the field, the chargers have the talent to be the best secondary. The reason why I don't have them in the top two is because I, that is where my injury factor comes into it with Derwin James, with Bryce Callahan. Yep. That unit is tremendously talented. 
They're playing in a great scheme. It's just a matter of can they go out there and execute? And that is if they don't meet expectations, it'll be because, you know, injuries and that failure to execute. Um, And then uh, Jordy also says Diggs is proof cornerback, not important. Let the NFL in ints and yards given up. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't consider Diggs a top 10 corner, though. I'll give Lance that. I wouldn't consider Diggs a top 10 corner. Me neither. All right, guys, I'm going to grab a couple of comments here. First off from Phil jumping in saying, great show tonight. Have a great weekend, guys. And Phil, you have a great weekend. Um, let's see here. Uh, Dale Fleming jumping in as well saying, great show, Lance and Eric. And thank you for the support and fantastic discussions, Broncos country. Thank you, Dale. Happy birthday. Again, you said you came back and said your birthday is tomorrow. So happy early birthday. Hope you have a great day and rest of your weekend. Um Dale saying also that he loves that Broncos country is not an echo chamber because here at Mile High Huddle, we like to have a bunch of differing opinions and a bunch of um, differing viewpoints on everything. And yes, Broncos country is not an echo chamber. And thank you, Dale, again, for your support. Uh, Travis Weber jumping in saying, great show tonight, guys. And thank you, Scott, for your work in the back. Have a good night and a great weekend, Broncos country. Michael Ronquillo uh, showing showing some more love here. Uh, Great show tonight, Lance and Eric on uh, DVDD. Let's ride and go Broncos. Um, I think that pretty much catches us up. Super Phil one more time, as always. Uh, thank you all for joining us tonight on the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. We really do appreciate all of your guys' support. It means a lot to us because without you guys, we couldn't do what we do best, which is cover your Denver Broncos. Guys, get at us on Twitter by finding me at SandersonMHH for Eric, at Eric Trickle. Also for Scott behind the scenes, at Scout Kennedy. Um, Guys, at Mile High Huddle, great way to keep in touch with what's going on, breaking news and analysis regarding your Denver Broncos, film breakdowns, opinion articles. We're ramping up into training camp here. Um, Great shows as well on the Huddle Up Podcast Network. You're going to find all of that at Mile High Huddle. Facebook supporters, go to facebook.com forward slash Mile High Huddle Pod. That's the podcast account on Facebook. And guys, if you're on Twitter, want to get on Facebook, join up on the uh, super fan group over on Facebook. It's a great way to join in with the rest of the community and have a lot of great conversations over that way. Share some memes, share some story times and stuff like that. Great way to support the show and milehighhuddle.com. And guys, um, if you guys aren't financially able to do so to, to support huddleuppod.com where you guys get your merch and stuff like that, please subscribe wherever you guys are watching. YouTube specifically, but on Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you guys get your podcasts, subscribe to Mile High Huddle. It helps us a lot. If you guys like it, click that like button on the way out, especially right now. If you're here right now, uh, give us another like. We've got 55 sets of eyes, at least on Facebook, 21 like emojis and stuff like that. Please click the like button. It helps a lot. And if you love it, share it. It's the most organic way to get us in front of as many uh, as many Broncos fans as possible. Because again, without your guys' support, we couldn't do what we do best, which is cover your Denver Broncos. And with that, guys, Eric, any last words, dude? What you got going on this weekend? Just watching not the Divinators? No. Um, not much. Um, just getting some, going to get some work done, continuing my player profiles and everything. But I got the gotcha question. Okay. You're all for the top corner, but you wanted a corner over edge rusher, but you wanted to cut Michael Ojemudia for a song Bassey. That just right there, that just shuts down your argument. Yeah, no, it doesn't though. It, it doesn't though. It's a it's a preference deal, and it has nothing to do with Michael Ojemudia or a saying bat. I, I, it does, but it, it does because you're, like hate- you're willing to you're saying corner is not necessarily more important, but having that top corner is more important. But you're willing to make the unit weak weaker overall over a thing of because oh this guy plays in the slot even though it's not very well 
it's not we don't, necessarily. We, we gotta get out of here. It's, it's not necessarily <laughs> even that. Why? Why do you play my words like that? You didn't get me, and I got you. You're just trying to twist my words back on itself. It doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. Because if you go back and check out the take that I actually had on that again, even earlier in the show, you will understand why I said Michael Michael Ojemudia. If you if you take the flyer on Damari Mathis and he pans out, he's a better boundary cornerback and then than Michael Ojemudia, and he can play in the slot. There you go. You've got another boundary cornerback to play versatility, uh, versatility in the slot, and you have another slot coverage defender. There you go. Like that's that's the whole premise behind that argument, and it was a hypothetical conversation to begin with. So damn you for damn you for twisting my words and trying to get me because you didn't get me. Anyways, guys, you all have a great weekend. Stay safe and take care. Have an awesome weekend. And as uh, before, we get out of here. Uh, <laughs> go Broncos, guys. We'll talk to you later. Same time, same place next week. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promotes surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 